0: and welcome to Paideia. I'm your host, Cassie Michael, and today we'll be diving deep into chapter two of The Hunger Games. Happy Hunger Games, and may the odds be ever in your favor. So chapter one, we left off with Primrose Everdeen's name, being drawn in the reaping. She's been selected as a tribute to go compete in a fight to the death in the Hunger Games. Um, Chapter 2 starts off at that exact moment. Katniss is shocked. She flashes back to a memory she has of being in a blind while hunting and waiting for game to wander by um, and having the wind knocked out of her. And that's how she feels now, in this moment. I must say, Suzanne Collins is masterful at writing. The emotion that she can elicit from the reader with her words is just incredible. Like, reading this, I could feel how Katniss felt. I could feel the shock The helplessness, the fear, the... Ugh, it's just so masterful. I have to. I have to read it. One time, when I was in a blind in a tree, waiting motionless for game to wander by, I dozed off and fell ten feet to the ground, landing on my back. It was as if the impact had knocked every wisp of air from my lungs, and I lay there struggling to inhale. To exhale to do anything. That's how I feel now, trying to remember how to breathe, unable to speak, totally stunned as the name bounces around the inside of my skull. Someone is gripping my arm, a boy from the seam, and I think maybe I started to fall, and he caught me. There must have been some mistake. This can't be happening. Prim was one slip of paper in thousands. Her chances of being chosen so remote that I'd not even bothered to worry about her. Hadn't I done everything? Taken the tesserae, refused to let her do the same. One slip, one slip in thousands. The odds had been entirely in her favor, but it hadn't mattered. Somewhere far away, I could hear the crowd murmuring unhappily, as they always do when a twelve-year-old gets chosen, because no one thinks this is fair. And then I see her. The blood drained from her face, hands clenched in fists at sides, walking with stiff, small steps up toward the stage, passing me, and I see the back of her blouse has become untucked and hangs out over her skirt. It's this detail, the untucked blouse forming a ducktail that brings me back to myself. Prim! The strangled cry comes out of my throat and my muscles begin to move again. Prim. I don't need to shove through the crowd. The other kids make way immediately, allowing me a straight path to the stage. I reach her, just as she is about to mount the steps. With one sweep of my arm, I push her behind me. I volunteer! I gasp. I volunteer as tribute. That opening to this chapter, that suspension of time and just the way that, um, The emotions are shown, not told. Just some really great writing, you know. It doesn't say Katniss was shocked, but we know that from her reaction. Not being able to breathe. Her thoughts about not having worried about Prim. Um, So, Katniss volunteers to take... Prim's place and joins Effie Trinket on the stage. Um, then the boy tribute is chosen and it's Peeta Mellark. Now Katniss knows this boy even though they've never spoken, um, and we get some backstory um, to their relationship. Peeta burned some bread and gave it to Katniss when her and her family were starving, and that bread gave her hope and led to her feeding her family from the woods and surviving in the woods. The ceremony ends with the mayor finishing reading the Treaty of Treason and Peta and Katniss shaking hands. As far as plot goes, not a lot happened in this chapter, but we do get some backstory and some more insight into this world and uh, we see Katniss as a young girl and get to see some of her memories and it's a really great chapter for that backstory and I'm excited to dive deep with the chapter and discuss it in more detail alright so diving in I'm going to start with Some of the questions I had from this chapter. So one, it's kind of a silly, well, maybe not silly question, but some might think it is. So as Katniss is thinking about Pete and the Lark, and we get some of the backstory, um, she talks about how starvation isn't that uncommon of a fate in, um district 12. Starvation's not an uncommon fate in district 12. Who hasn't seen the victims? Older people who can't work, children from a family with too many to feed, those injured in the mines, straggling through the street, and one day you come upon them sitting motionless against a wall or lying in the meadow. You hear the wails from a house and the peacekeepers are called in to revive the retrieve the body starvation is never the cause of death officially it's always the flu or exposure or pneumonia but that fools no one so specifically the line with um children from a family with too many to feed made me wonder why in a world like this do people have children um and In the first chapter, I don't think I talked about it in the episode, but in the book, Katniss and Gil discuss children. Katniss doesn't want to have children in this world, in Panem, because, you know, bringing them into this world, it's challenging. Um, And uh, one of them... Can't remember if it's Katniss or Gill says that they would want children if they didn't live in this world. Um, so why do people have children? And then, you know, from, like, kind of thinking that, I wondered, like, is there birth control or contraception in Panem? Like, how is family planning done? Um, is family planning done? And then I thought back to, like, my AP Human Geography class, and we studied the, um... Oh, gosh. I don't remember what it's called, but it's a model of development, and there's five stages, and within each stage, there's, like, um what, like, the population pyramid looks like and what the birth rate looks like. Um, And as countries move through the different stages of development, we talked about how, um, you know, one, children are an economic asset um, because they're free labor and they can help work on the farm. Um, But then when countries are more developed, children become an economic liability um, and in this world, it seems that they are a liability More mouse to feed, um, not enough food to go around. Um, but in conjunction with that, we also talked about, like, who controls fertility. Um, in less developed countries, men typically control fertility. And in more developed countries, women control their own fertility. So... And we also talked about, like, different ways that governments and systems can promote births or, like, try to um, encourage less births to happen. Um, In countries like Japan and some Scandinavian countries where the birth rate is really low and the population is declining because of lack of births, it's to the government's advantage to encourage people to have children so that um, you know their population can continue to be at least replaced um and there are people to sustain the economy um and take care of the aging um population, whereas in a place like let's say like India has one of the highest birth rates, China has a high birth rate um And there's not a lot of resources to go around, it might be to the country's advantage to try to, um, slow down the birth rate. And there are different, like, methods of doing that, such as, like, um, giving out contraceptives, education, um, encouraging more births, those initiatives look more like paid, um, parental leave, um, you know, free child care, um, stuff like that. So I wonder, like, is it to the capital's gain for people to have children or to limit the growth of the population? So from what I know, having read the whole series, oops, forgot the requisite spoiler alert for this episode, here it is. Spoiler alert, I might spoil some of the series. So, from what I know, from having read the series before, the human population isn't large. Um, the war, like, just decimated, nuclear war decimated the population, and Panem is really all that's left. And Panem, I don't know what the population is, but it's not very large, um, in the rebellion, you know that was a concern was shedding too much blood and losing too much human life when there's not a lot of it. Um, so I don't know if the capital wants more people to be born, or if they want to have control and not do that from their actions and from the conditions we see in District 12 the Capitol doesn't do anything to support the districts Um, they don't do anything to make it easy for people to have children and to help promote the human population growth so it's hard to know what they want another question I have is Um, about, you know, like, kind of like social contracts and what we owe one another. So, Katniss says, I feel like I owe him something, and I hate owing people. Maybe if I thanked him at some point, I'd feel less conflicted now. I thought about it a couple of times, but the opportunity never seemed to present itself, and now it never will. So this is in, like, she's just finished telling the story about how Peta burned the bread and gave it to her and how she connects that with hope. Um, And so she feels like she owes him. My question is, what do we owe people? How is that determined? And do we always have to honor that? So I think about this on multiple levels. Just... As fellow humans, what do we owe one another? What do we owe strangers? Um, And then, how is that determined? Is that determined, is there some type of, like, universal social contracts where no matter what culture you are, you know, that kind of transaction, that social contract of owing something is the same? Or does it vary among cultures? I'm guessing it varies among cultures and among, like, lifestyles and worldviews. But there might be some universality to it. Um, And then do we always have to honor um, that feeling of owing someone or that, you know, kind of social transaction You know, what if we owe someone something, but it's going to harm ourselves to repay them? Like, do we honor what we owe them, or do we have self-preservation? You know? What do we do? So, then, you know, the other big question from this chapter is, what compels PETA to give Katniss that bread Um, yeah she says um, let's see I will read a little bit of an excerpt alright there was a clatter in the bakery and I heard the woman screaming again and the sound of a blow I vaguely wondered what was going on. Feet slouched toward me through the mud, and I thought, "'It's her. She's coming to drive me away with a stick.' But it wasn't her. It was the boy. In his arm, he carried two large loaves of bread that must have fallen into the fire because the crusts were scorched black. His mother was yelling, "'Feed it to the pig, you stupid creature! Why not?' No one decent will buy burned bread. He began to tear off chunks from the burned parts and toss them into the trough. And the front bakery bell rung, and the mother disappeared to help a customer. The boy never even glanced my way, but I was watching him because of the bread, because of the red wheel that stood out on his cheekbone. What had she hit him with? My parents never hit us. I couldn't even imagine it. The boy took one look back to the bakery, as if checking that the coast was clear. Then his attention back on the pig, he threw a loaf of bread in my direction. The second quickly followed, and he sloshed back to the bakery, closing the kitchen door tightly behind him. I stared at the loaves in disbelief. They were fine, perfect, really, except for the burned areas did he mean for me to have them? He must have, because there they were at my feet. Before anyone could witness what had happened, I shoved the loaves under my shirt, wrapped the hunting jacket tightly about me, and walked swiftly away. The heat of the bread burned into my skin, but I clutched it tighter, clinging to life. By the time I reached home, the loaves had cooled somewhat, but the insides were still warm. When I dropped them on the table, Prim's hands reached to tear off a chunk, but I made her sit, forced my mother to join us at the table, and poured warm tea. I scraped off the black stuff and sliced the bread. We ate an entire loaf, slice by slice. It was good, hearty bread, filled with raisins and nuts. I put my clothes to dry at the fire, crawled into bed, and fell into a dreamless sleep. It didn't occur to me until the next morning that the boy might have burned the bread on purpose, might have dropped the loaves into the flames, knowing it meant being punished, and then delivered them to me. But I dismissed this. It must have been an accident. Why would he have done it? He didn't even know me. Still, just throwing me the bread was an enormous kindness that would have surely resulted in a beating if discovered i couldn't explain his actions so spoiler alert again um we know that peter pita um might have been compelled by love to do this um As we find out later in the chapter, he's loved Katniss for a long time, or had a crush on her. They didn't really know each other, and can you really love someone without knowing them? Um, But people do kindnesses like this, you know, in everyday life. Um, We risk, people will risk their safety to protect others. I think of soldiers, I think of the nurses and doctors and emergency room staff, um, battling the COVID pandemic. Um, and, you know, um, I've, you know, given to the homeless sometimes when I'm driving and I come to a stoplight and there's someone, whatever change, um, or cash I have in my car, um, I like to give it to them. I don't know these people. They're strangers. Um, But what compels me to give? I think it's empathy, you know, Um, and wanting to do something to help. Uh, But I wonder if PETA has given bread to other people. Um, or if he only did it for Katniss. And I wonder how the other merchants help when they see the starving. Um, or how, I wonder how they can stand not to help. How they can stand to not do something about this injustice that they see with the starving people. Maybe they don't see it. Maybe they're blind to it. Maybe they think it's not their problem. I don't know. Um, that's just a thought. So now, moving into, you know, some of the themes I see in this chapter. Um, so obviously we see, like, devotion. Um, Katniss is devoted to Prim. And to, you know, providing and protecting Prim. Her devotion goes, she goes so far as to volunteer as tribute. Um, and when Pita's name is called, um, she says, Effie Trinket asks for volunteers, but no one steps forward. He has two older brothers, I know. I've seen them in the bakery. But one is probably too old now to volunteer, and the other won't. This is standard. Family devotion only goes so far for most people on Reaping Day. What I did was the radical thing. So, I mean, I kind of question, like, when we're devoted to someone What's the boundary? What should the boundary be? When is it okay to not have a boundary um, with devotion? Is it ever okay? When is devotion unhealthy? Um, I don't know that we get necessarily an answer from this text, but, um, you know, with devotion... Here we also have sacrifice. Katniss is essentially sacrificing herself for Prim. Um, there's this great let's see. The rule is that once a tribute's name has been pulled from the ball, another eligible boy, if a boy's name has been read, or girl, if a girl's name has been read, can step forward to take his or her place. In some districts in which winning the reaping is such a great honor, people are eager to risk their lives. The volunteering is complicated, but in District 12 where the word tribute is pretty much synonymous with the word corpse, volunteers are all but extinct. So Katniss volunteers knowing that it probably means her death. Um, She's sacrificing herself for Prim. When is that kind of sacrifice worth it? You know, Katniss here values Prim's life more than her own. You know, I I kind of wonder, like, are some lives... More valuable than others. You know, I want to say no, all human lives are equally valuable and we shouldn't sacrifice one for the other, but that isn't always the case. And, you know, with running out of ventilators, People are having to make decisions about who gets a ventilator and who doesn't. How do they place the value of these human lives? I just... I don't know how you do that. And can't imagine the incredibly hard decisions that have to be made. Um, You know? I just... I don't know. That's an interesting... um, thing to think about um, is how we value human life and our own life in relation to others. Um, Is your life worth more than 10 lives? Like, if 10 people had to die just so you could live, is that worth it? Or is it better for you to sacrifice your own life? I don't know. These ethical and Moral questions, just hard to answer. I don't know. I think every human life has value. It doesn't matter the age, the gender identity, the biological sex, um, the um, race, ethnicity, all human life has the same value. But I think it's in our nature to value sometimes our own life over others and put our interests before others. Um, For one of my classes, conveniently called Paideia 450, um, we are learning about, like, different educational um, policies and philosophies and different ideas about education. And we read this one article about, like, idiocy and, like, democracy. And the author of this article claims that idiocy is when someone puts their own self-interest and the interests and needs of their family... End themselves before the needs of a community or the quote unquote greater good. So there has to be a balance, I guess, between your own self interest and in valuing your life and then valuing the collective lives of strangers. Wow, did not expect to get that out of reading this book. <laughs> You never know what you'll um, glean from a text as you read it and really sit with the themes and ideas and um, stuff like that. And this chapter, if I had to pick an overarching theme for this chapter, I think it would be hopelessness. We see this theme of hopelessness and helplessness so much. um, When Katniss um, volunteers as tribute. When Prim is red, when, like, you know, we see Katniss kind of overcome the shock, the helplessness that she can't do anything and volunteer. But then she has no hope really of winning. District 12 doesn't think she will come back um, they don't clap and they do the um, symbol of the three fingers touching the lips and then um, like taking your hand out that is often done at funerals that ritual done at funerals of grief um, the being in general just seems full of, like, hopelessness. And then when we're getting the story about Katniss and the time when her family was starving, she was 11, couldn't sign up for Tesserae yet, and she just felt so hopeless. The word hopeless is even in the text. Um, Yeah, and we also have the phrase, empty of hope. I couldn't go home because at home was my mother with her dead eyes and my little sister with her hollow cheeks and cracked lips. I couldn't walk into that room with the smoky fire from the damp branches I had scavenged at the edge of the woods after the coal had run out. My hands empty of any hope. And then, with the hopelessness, we also have hope that comes at the end of the chapter with Peter Millark and the first dandelion reminding Katniss that, oh! I know how to find food. I can survive and provide for my family from the woods. Um, You know, I can't imagine, you know, what it feels like to not have enough to eat and to be hungry and worried about providing for your family and losing a father and, in a way, also losing a mother because she can't function and can't do anything and having to take on the responsibility of being the head of the household at such a young age. I think we're also reminded, though, that, you know, everybody has their own struggles. Katniss's was, um... You know, being poor. Not being able to feed her family. Um, But then, PETA gets hit and Katniss can't imagine what that is like. My parents never hit us. I couldn't even imagine it. And I bet PETA can't imagine what it's like to be hungry. And to not have enough. So, just because you know, um, their experiences are different. They both experience things that the other can't imagine. And I think everyone has something that they've experienced that, um, someone else couldn't imagine. Um, and we all experience things and we all go through things that are hard and difficult. Um, it's part of being human and, I think that can help us have empathy towards one another and help bring people together over common ground. So, next, I want to talk about um, District 12's response to Katniss volunteering as tribute. I've already mentioned it a little bit, but it's a very powerful part of the book. To the everlasting credit of the people of District 12, not one person claps, not even the ones holding betting slips, the ones who are usually beyond caring, possibly because they know me from the hob or knew my father or have encountered Prim, whom no one can help loving. So instead of acknowledging applause, I stand there unmoving, they take part in the boldest form of dissent they can manage. Silence, which says we do not agree, we do not condone, all of this is wrong. Then something unexpected happens, at least I don't expect it because I don't think of District 12 as a place that cares about me but a shift has occurred since i stepped up to take prim's place and now it seems i've become someone precious at first one then another then almost every member of the crowd touches the three middle fingers of their left hand to their lips and holds it out to me this is an old and rarely used gesture of our district occasionally seen at funerals it means thanks it means admiration It means goodbye to someone you love. So that's the first hint of, like, rebellion. Of collective dissent. Collective going against the authority and going against what is expected. We have Gail and Katniss who, in the woods, they say all these things about District 12 and the Capitol and how things should be different, but this response of District 12, this collective kind of protest against the norms, against what's expected, it's just so powerful and so moving. Um, And I also get from that short passage that sometimes we might not realize how we impact others. Or how we're connected to others. Um, I'm sure Katniss is cared about in District 12. She trades with so many people. Um, She provides food for people and trades with people. So she's in relationship with people like Greasy Say, um, the Mayor, Madge, um, and Families of the Seam. And I think on some level, in every relationship, there's care in just that this is another human being. Then, in Candace's case, there's care in that this is a human being who provides me a valuable service. Who is dependable and reliable. Um, and something like that then that care and that love for Katniss from her community, you know, is even amped up a level when she makes that ultimate sacrifice for Prim, who, as Katniss herself says, nobody can help but love. Um, now this is Katniss' perspective. This isn't like a omniscient narrator. It's first person, so we don't know this is Katniss's reality. It might not be, like, total truth or total reality. It's just Katniss's perception and her reality. But we can assume from Katniss's description that Prim is a beloved member of District 12. And sacrificing, Katniss sacrificing herself to save Prim just, I think... The community who loves Prim recognizes the sacrifice and appreciates it, um, and they honor Katniss in such a really powerful way um, by showing solidarity in silence and by having just this slight sign of resistance and um, of protest. So now thinking about the chapter and, um, what it calls me to do in my life, I think it really highlights, to me, the importance of connection, um, the unspoken connection of Peeta and Katniss and the hope that can bring, um... And the hope he brought her. I think I want to be someone who can bring hope to other people. So I want to be more intentional about my interactions. Both spoken and unspoken. And try to bring hope to people in this uncertain time. That perhaps people are feeling hopeless. I'm also called to um, you know, kind of, like, speak out in ways against the injustices I see, um, and to, you know, say that, like, this is wrong and I do not condone it. Maybe not in such as powerful a way as all of District 12 did in how they sent off Katniss to the Hunger Games, But I want to find ways to um, be more vocal about just injustices I see and doing what I can um, to make the world just a better place. So I want to bring hope and justice into the world. Just a reminder that I would love to be in conversation with all of you. So, if you have a thought, an answer to one of the questions I pose, a different reading of the text, um, an idea about themes or um, anything, a story you'd like to share, you can send me a voicemail and you can send um, a voicemail. Like, I think you can just record it on your phone. Um and you can go to the link, https colon slash slash anchor dot fm slash cassie dash michael slash message. So once again, if you'd like to send a voicemail, voice message to me, and be in conversation with me, I would love it and love to include. Some voice messages on the podcast. Um, that'd be https: colon slash slash anchor dot fm slash cassie dash michael dash message. So that's anchor dot slash c a s s i e dash m i c h e l slash message. So, my thought today for the voicemail, um, is that, you know, Ender's Game and Hunger Games are both books in worlds that look completely different than our own, um, and that have been completely changed by war and other tragedies. But both of these books tell us And inform us about our world Um, and we can see our world in the books and I just think that is really incredible and um, I think it's a good way to evaluate our own society and what can change and how we as individuals can live better Um, and I think both the books are really enjoyable to read they're entertaining they take you through so many emotions and um, yeah stories are so powerful and uh, these stories really can teach us a lot and even rereading it I'm getting a lot out of um, The Hunger Games that I did not before. So I'm really excited to be reading these books. This has been another episode of Paideia. Thank you all so much for listening. I really appreciate it. And I hope that you get something out of listening. Whether it be inspiration or... Um, a curiosity that's sparked or um, something to think about and spend time with yourself and your thoughts and get to know yourself a little better or form beliefs and values or question your beliefs and values. Whatever it may be, I hope you do get something out of listening and I'm really thankful and glad that you do listen. That's all for today. Join me next time on Paideia.